Hello, everyone. What a lovely day it's been. Who's, who's been enjoying the sun this weekend? Well, it's going to rain tonight, so... Shame, but uh, it was good while it lasted, wasn't it? So, hello. Tonight we are going to be continuing looking at our series, uh, Exiles and Ambassadors. You might recall, if you've been around for a while, that um, for a while we've been looking at uh, Nehemiah in the mornings and in the evenings. Now we've moved on to looking at 1 Peter. So that's a uh, book in the New Testament written by Peter, who was mates with Jesus. And it was written to a number of new Christian communities in what's like modern-day Turkey. And, uh, yeah, people who were kind of from a Jewish background, who'd fled persecution in Jerusalem. And uh, it was written about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. Is that being funny? Or is that okay? Okay, good. Um, so, yeah, while Nehemiah is about the, the Jewish people returning from exile and kind of thinking, who are we? What are we doing? Um, kind of rediscovering their identity as uh, God's chosen people. The, uh, yeah, 1 Peter's addressed these, these Christians who fled persecution and are now starting house churches. And uh, as we found, um, Rachel told us, what was it, two, two weeks ago? Peter was writing to kind of prepare and encourage these uh, new believers who were all kind of coming to the terms with the fact that if they were going to stick with following Jesus, is that really like echoey? It's okay. Okay, good. Um, so if they were going to stick with living for Jesus, then they'd need to kind of persevere through the persecution, through hatred, potentially from their own families, from... Uh, from the Jewish communities they were leaving, but also the Roman authorities. And so, yeah, while there was no prospect of these kind of struggles completely disappearing for them, they could put their trust in Jesus, their living hope, throughout the trials that they were going to face. And so, um, yeah, Peter's letter is addressed to these, quote, people residing in a foreign land. And in the various translations all of us might be looking at right now, that might be translated as something along the lines of like exiles or aliens or foreigners and uh, yeah so we're going to be looking at um, from the end of chapter one to the start of chapter two and this theme of yeah exiles is uh, central again as Peter encourages them to not be afraid of living differently uh, to those around them following the example of Jesus and his holiness so I'm just going to read the passage if you want to get it up on your phones or in your paper Bibles, uh, if you have one of those, it is 1 Peter 1, verse 13. It will be up here, hopefully as well. Here we go. So, oh, it's the bit after that. Yeah, that bit. <laughs> Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So you and your faith, no, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love each other deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Then we continue into chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Very good. Very good. Now, I don't know about you, but um, deep down, while we've been talking about this whole theme of uh, exiles and ambassadors, it's, um, it's maybe a bit, made me a bit uneasy at times. Um, all this kind of chat about outsiders and aliens and exiles and foreigners. Not, and now that's not because I don't like foreigners. Let's just, let's just get that on the table. Like, I love foreigners. Some of my best friends are foreigners. No, uh, but like most people, I just want to belong. You know, we all want to belong. So please, guys, stop stop telling me I'm an outsider. Like, that's all I'm seeming to hear at church. What's going on? Ultimately, I think, you know, what we all want is to be in fulfilling relationships with those around us, don't we? Because isn't isn't life so much easier when we belong? Whether it's like a friendship group, a society at uni, a crowd at a gig, a football team, even at a church, we all just want to fit in, don't we? Because when we when we find fulfillment beyond ourselves, when we endure the highs and lows together, isn't it just so much better to do that as, as community? Because the fact is we're, we're social creatures, aren't we? Being a member of something is great. We get let in on kind of friendship or camaraderie, traditions, banter, rewards. It's great. However, sometimes we also need to give something up, don't we? Sometimes that might be just paying a membership fee, but actually also it might be to give up a part of ourselves or to, to conform to someone else's norms or values. And that's not always easy, is it? It's a, it's a powerful force, the, the kind of pressure of wanting to fit in, the cost of being accepted. I guess as a result of that, maybe it's been the, the kind of center point of uh, plays and all sorts of media, hasn't it? Like, if you think about um, your kind of period dramas, like um, Pride and Prejudice, that's all about, or I, I hear Bridgerton, but I haven't watched it because... <laughs> but uh, it's all about kind of families and uh, people worrying about their social status and being judged by every little faux pas, isn't it? And then um, there's something like, maybe a more recent example would be like, Normal people, the TV show, or the book, you might have seen that, where the protagonists were both kind of misfits, trying to fit in with uh, the world around them, but feeling kind of completely oppressed 
by others' expectations of them, you might remember. And uh, I could keep going on with all sorts of sophisticated uh, literary sources or other media, but um, perhaps one of the most um, potent carriers of this, uh, this mantra that seems to be within all of our society was in fact that highbrow social commentary, High School Musical, Sing along if you know it. No. And I quote, no, no, no. <laughs> Stick to the stuff you know. If you want to be cool, follow one simple rule. Don't mess with the flow. No, no. Stick to the status quo. <laughs> I've actually only seen High School Musical once. You know, it's not... I didn't know that off by heart. I did have to look it up. But uh, jokes aside, uh, that, that whole movie, you may recall, centers around people who are, yeah, totally kind of anxious about their relationships, um, how their passions, their hobbies, their lifestyles might be judged, right? And uh, while I wasn't fortunate enough to go to a kind of all singing, all dancing secondary school, uh, <laughs> like that one, uh, I remember my experience at secondary school where I didn't really feel like I belonged for quite a while of that. And uh, while I wasn't a kind of total outcast, don't worry, I, uh, I did kind of float a bit between various groups of uh, acquaintances, trying my best, uh, not so much to cling on to, to popularity, but just to be included at all. And yeah, I know that for a lot of that time, I wasn't really happy because ultimately I was, I was putting on a mask, you know? trying to say the right things, fitting with others, trying to get a laugh out of people, but ultimately not really being myself. And this didn't, yeah, this didn't just grate with me kind of in terms of it being a fairly unsatisfactory experience as a whole, but actually I knew it didn't line up with the, the faith that I'd learned from my parents and I was kind of figuring out for myself at the time as well. And now, as I went through school, I actually uh, started to make some good friends it's a plus, isn't it? Um, and they're actually still some of my best mates from school today, uh, from who I see every time I go back um, to York. And yeah, we hung out at school, we went to the same youth group in the end, and uh, we all played Ultimate Frisbee together. So isn't that good? But uh, what more could you want? And so yeah, in the space of about a year, I went from not really looking, to the social, looking forward to the social side of school at all, to, uh, to being happier, and kind of more fulfilled than I'd ever been before because I'd found some friends who I didn't need to pretend for. And as it happens, that uh, period where my friendships began to look up was a very similar time to when I uh, first properly chose to follow Jesus myself. So, cheers, mate. <laughs> no, uh, I, I won't claim that those are exactly related, that it's not some kind of reward. That's not how it works. But... Um, I can certainly say that uh, while being a teenager and having friends who I could share so much joy with, uh, throwing plastic across a large field and uh, other things like praying and supporting each other in, in faith was completely life-changing. And one of the other great joys since choosing to follow Jesus has been how my, my walk with him and my personality have um, become more reconciled, I guess. And uh, one of my favorite verses is uh, John 10, verse 10. It says, the, uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, 
But Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And I guess, yeah, since I've known him, I've been confident to follow his way, trusting that following him is the best way to live, whatever comes. And obviously, this is a work in progress, you know, and it will continue to be for the rest of my life. Because I'm deep down still a bit of a people pleaser. I do want to, to minimize pain and upset. Perhaps ultimately, I don't want to endanger friendships that I feel I've worked hard to, to build up and win. And that's not, so that's not easy. I still want to conform. And sometimes I don't want to challenge the uh, status quo, as our American friends would put it. Especially when I'm relatively new somewhere, maybe, or I don't want to upset those in charge. But yet, when I, when I choose to do life with God, offering my life as a living sacrifice to him, as uh, Paul puts it in Romans 12, rather than kind of fearing to put my head above the parapet, I've um, instead you know, often been emboldened to actually bring people together and uh, sometimes bring kind of harmony where there's been division, and, uh, yeah, certain situations in, say, first-year flats or on uh, university committees spring to mind. You might uh, identify with some of those. And uh, equally, though, some of you who know me will know that in some situations where there's maybe, like, a choice to be made or uh, judgments about something, I can be kind of chronically diplomatic and uh, just give a kind of non-committal politician's answer. Oh, no, it's awful, isn't it? But... Um, but actually, in a world where it feels like so much of the dialogue on social media, in the news or in politics, is getting kind of ever more polar and aggressive and antagonistic, uh, demonizing the, the other side, you know, the other bad guys, for me, following Jesus and living distinctively in his way looks like trying to bring peace and patience rather than kind of hiding from conflict or fanning the flames myself by exacerbating things or getting involved and so as people whose hope is in the risen Jesus rather than being in the the things of the world around us how can we be holy choosing to follow his way rather than the world's in the places that we find ourselves because ever since the fall though humans have got stuff wrong haven't we more often than not God's way and our way hasn't been the same and so Jesus then came, though. He gives us hope because he paid the ransom, as we read in that verse, um, not with gold or silver, but with his blood, so that we might be able to join his team, to, to sit at his table, so to speak, despite us not deserving it one bit. And when we put our trust in him, the passage says we're born again. We have been adopted into his family, and we should honour that by living a life worthy of him. And yeah, as he summarized so beautifully, how can we do that? In, in short, love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And yet he knew it wouldn't be easy for, for people who, who chose to follow him. You can see that in, um, is it John 14 or John 15? He, he prays for those who are, who are gonna follow him in the future. And uh, the passage today opened with that bit about having minds that are fully alert and sober setting our hope in Jesus. Now, the original phrase is to gird your loins, which is kind of tremendously archaic, isn't it? But if you imagine a kind of ancient person uh, wearing a toga, 
or something like that, you know, just a big sheet. I did think about bringing a, uh, but uh, you get the idea. Uh, to tuck it, so they would tuck it into their belt. That was what it would mean to gird your loins. So they'd become kind of more, less, uh, less floaty and more, more agile. And in today's words, maybe, uh, you could put it as kind of sharpen up, get out of your skinny jeans and put on your sports kit. You know, focus on living for him. Um, you know, really like ready rather than just lazily going with the flow with what the world says. And so, yeah, as we get to know Jesus more, discover his character and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, we can become more attuned to, to, to what Jesus is, is saying and what Jesus would do if he were here. We read in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God doesn't give us a spirit that makes us feel afraid. His spirit gives us power, love, and self-control. So, yeah, how can we not kind of acquiesce or just conform or be lukewarm or apathetic? How will we be different? Will we stand out from the crowd? How will we be holy? And so tonight, you, you might think you're doing all right, you know, fair play to you. But actually, you might want to be able to speak more freely about your faith or kind of share your story with friends when it comes up. Or maybe you have a situation at work that you kind of know isn't right and you, you know it's, um, you want to bring Jesus' love to it. Or maybe just there's a big pile of washing up in the, uh, in the corner of your flat and no one wants to wash it up and you, you can't stand the passive aggression and the disunity anymore. I've certainly been in flats like that. I'd imagine a few of you probably are as well. It gets a bit petty, doesn't it? How can we rise above that? And so whatever situation you find yourself in, God wants to do life with you. Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. And now you have the right to become a full member of his family, of his club. It won't be easy to try and live like him. But he's given you power through his spirit to bring peace, patience, kindness, self-control to the places where you are, to your relationships in the city around you. And that might need you to go through some pain or stick your neck out, going against the status quo. But he loves you and has made you to find life in all its fullness, doing life with him. And so just as uh, Alan comes up, gets ready, um, if you just have a little think to yourself maybe, is there a, a situation that God's put on your heart while I've been speaking where you just, you just want to be more Jesus in that? And so, yeah. Just invite you to, to maybe, uh, as I get down and Alan comes up, um, take that to the Lord in prayer. But there will be a chance to respond at the end. So yeah, thank you. What a great message. What a great message from Chris um, about the pressures of fitting in um, when church tells you to be an exile, an alien in a foreign land. And uh, as we read in the scriptures tonight, um, don't conform um, to the world around us, but stand out, be different. So um, we've looked a little bit at doing that. And uh, I hope that as Chris has spoken, that um, there may be one or two areas where you think that God is asking something of you as a Christian in that place. 
my contribution, uh, I'm going to continue to pick up that theme of being different. And I want to look a little bit about how we become different, really, I think is where I'm going to land uh, tonight. Um, so there is this pressure like never bef to, before to conform to the world around us. How do we become the kind of people for whom different is normal and life-giving for those around us, because I'm sure that we want that. So I'm going to read a scary bit of the scriptures this evening, um, which I struggle with, and uh, let's see how we go with this. Here we go. This is verse 14 of chapter 1. It says, as obedient children, as obedient children. I don't know how the word obedient sits with you as you sit in your seats. As obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Stand out. Be different. Be God's representatives. Be obedient children. And so I just want to throw out a title as we begin which is Learning to Drive the Car Called Life. Learning to Drive the Car Called Life, and that will become clear as we go through. Final place where I want to land, so two, two little sections from this large section that I want to pick out. The first was that one, and then the second is this, right at the end of what um, Chris spoke on earlier. Like newborn babies... Obedient children, newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Still not sounding particularly thankful, but that's okay. We can work with that. We can work with that. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because this is kind of fundamental to the whole exercise. Because if you've not tasted that the Lord is good, you're not going to want to stand out and be different. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because you see, the cross on the wall behind us tells us that God loves us. God loves you and me and Chris and even Joel. God loves us. Yeah, and what's more, the scriptures tell us that he is working in our best interests all the time. So God loves you, and he is working in your best interests. It says in Romans 8, in all things, God is working for, your, for the good of those who love him. So God wants you to live your best life. Yes! He, may, he and you may disagree what that best life is for you, but he wants you to live your very best life. He wants you to be the best version of you, the very best version that you could possibly be. He wants you to be surrounded, as Chris has shared this evening, with life-giving relationships. He wants your whole life to flourish and to be beautiful. He wants you to know contentment and peace. He wants you to become the kind of people who are honoured and respected and valued. Does anybody want a little bit of that? Very good. So have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you yourselves experienced the power of his presence 
Have you experienced in your hearts and not just knowing in your heads that he loves you? Have you experienced in desperate times the peace that surpasses all understanding that he longs to give us? Have we experienced his his spirit speaking to us as we go through life? So have we experienced him for ourselves? Have you experienced him working in your lives where you have known him leading and guiding you? Where you have maybe known a measure of healing in your life? Have you known a transforming word that has, bring cho- uh, that has brought change and transformation as you have been going through your life? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? And if you've not tasted it personally, have you at least seen that God at work in other people's lives? Heard the stories and the testimonies and thought to yourself, you know what, I want some of that. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because knowing that the Lord is good, I believe that Jesus follows up with another question, which is this. Will you trust me? Will you put your faith in me? And allow me to come alongside you and help you with your lives. If the answer is yes, we are ready to listen to what he says. If we are convinced that he is good, then we can hear these words as obedient children. Do not conform any longer to the world. If we've said yes, we can hear that challenge to be holy because I am holy. And know that God is not a dictator. He's good. But he's not oppressive. He's not a killjoy. He's not trying to control us. But he is trying to bring life and transformation to your lives so that you might transform those lives around you. Now, let's get back to my title. Okay, learning to drive this car called life. I have three children. Two of them are off at university. There's Jacob. He, uh, in his forethought and foreplanning, decided it would be a great idea to learn to drive. So he's learned to drive, got to university, realized he can't afford a car, but he's at least passed his test. Great. And while he was learning, Uh, going down and visiting my family down in Wiltshire, Um, he had an opportunity, having had a few lessons, to drive the car through the forest, a private road, so no problems with insurance, if anyone's listening. Uh, There we go. Max, uh, he turned 18 last year, and uh, he, uh, for his 18th birthday, uh, he and a few friends went off karting uh, to a local karting track, and uh, through overtaking under yellow flags, he came in second um, and uh, lost to his dad. So anyway, let's hold that. He's also massively into Formula One. Part of his uh, first uh, student loan um, has gone on buying a rather nice, large Lego model. And uh, he is following, he's an avid follower of F1. Um, And dad, I drove my friend's car in a car park at, at university. He's dead keen to drive. So when we were down a few weeks ago in Wiltshire visiting family, uh, we happened to pass the forest. Can I drive, Dad? Can I drive the car in the forest, Dad? Dad, Dad, can I drive the car in the forest? And Max is very persistent, if nothing else. Dad, can I drive the car? Dad, 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 can I drive the car? Please, can I drive the car? 
let me drive the car, let me drive the car. So much so that Helen, his mum, went, let him drive the car. Please let him drive the car. Now, I wasn't quite ready to, uh, to give up yet, so I needed to sleep on this. And so the following day, due to be driving up to Sheffield, but we were going to go and walk in the forest. I'd said nothing to Helen, I'd said nothing to Max, but as we pulled off of the uh, public highway onto the private road that runs through uh, the middle of the forest, I just pulled the car over, climbed out and said, Max, okay, over to you. Now, bearing in mind that my son has not had any lessons, he climbed out of the back seat and said, bring it on. And there was just that sense that I've got this. I've got this, Dad. He's got his whole family in the car, you know. Climbs into the front seat, straps himself in. And to give him his due, he's no fool, my boy. So he's uh, on the clutch. He's into first gear. He's giving a few revs. He's got his hand on the handbrake. He knows what he's doing, my boy. And uh, no conversation, no discussion. Off he goes. Up with a clutch, a little bit fast, we buck, we kangaroo, we jump a little bit, and the car stalls. Very good. My boy's undeterred. He is undeterred. But the thing is, he's now ready to listen. And so I actually sat behind him, not because I was fearful and didn't want to be in the front seat. <laughs> well, maybe it was a little bit of that. But I just whispered in his ear, okay, Max, you're a little bit quick on the clutch. Just find the bite point, let the car get moving. And uh, off we went. And uh, dodging potholes, uh, up into second gear. Uh, Max, you probably want to slow, slow down a little bit, Max. Max, slow down, slow down. But he'd got this. But he was ready to listen. And uh, he did an amazing job. And I have asked him if I can use this story tonight. And he said yes. Didn't know what story, but he did say that it would be fine <laughs> just to tell this story. And the thing is, listening to his dad, who beat him at karting, I just want that on the record twice, okay. There was this sense that maybe dad knew something about driving. And so he was ready to listen. And subsequently driving around, and him sat in the front, you can see him just watching intently what I'm doing. So he's watching my feet. Oh, Dad, are the traffic lights there? Your handbrake's not on, and the car's not rolling. What's going on? So he's just asking questions in terms of, okay, how do I do this? Because he knows that Dad is good, and he knows a little bit of something about driving. And he may not be convinced always that I have his best interests at heart, but at very least he knows that I have the best interests of the family car at heart. So he is ready to listen. He has tasted and seen that his dad is good. And being hungry to learn, perhaps, it's pushing it a little bit far, but he's craving that pure spiritual milk. He wants to know. He wants to listen. He wants to improve. God says, be holy because I am holy. Be like obedient children and no longer conform. And obedience here literally means to hear under, to sit under somebody else's instruction, to be ready to listen and to put into practice what it is that you hear. So learning to drive the car called life, you know what God lets us drive? He lets us drive the family car. He lets us buck and stall. 
he even lets us crash the car. And he'll even let us crash the car over and over and over again. God will not snatch the wheel from us. God doesn't have dual control pedals on the floor along, uh, by his feet. He will let us drive the car over and over again. He will let us do things our own way. He will let us drive off after money and wealth and status. He will let us drive and seek security. And as Chris has already shared beautifully, he will let us seek after affirmation of those around us. He will let us drive down the uh, country road of comfort. He will let us drive through our relationships. And I certainly know growing up that I drove through a few and there were certainly car crashes along the way. He will let us try and fill the emptiness, the God-shaped hole in our hearts. With drugs and alcohol, with Netflix, with sex, with likes on Instagram. He will let us try and control situations and try and control those around us that are out of our control so that we feel safe. He has given us control. He has given us the wheel, and he will never, ever, ever snatch it back. But he is good, and he is loving, and he is infinitely patient. Infinitely patient. And when we've stalled, and when we've bucked, and kangaroo hopped down the road, when we've crashed a few times, when we're ready to listen, when we're ready to begin to trust and to learn from Jesus, he's good. He is very, very, very good. And the life that he has for us and doing things his way is the very, very best life that we could possibly, possibly have. And so rather than being forced to become obedient children, we want to become like obedient children. Because we know that dad is good all the time. I'm going to just invite the band just to come. We're going to uh, worship together in a moment. I think the Lord might want to do a little bit of a something uh, this evening with us. Um, great message from Chris. Great message from Chris. And you may have that same sense that, uh, that Chris talks so well about in terms of just that pressure to conform to those around, not wanting to uh, buck the status quo, I think it was, to not stand out, just to be, just to fit in and be part of the crowd. But also that sense that actually you know, because of your relationship with the Lord, that he is wanting you to to stand for something, to live a different way, to speak out from time to time when you know that things aren't as they should be. And if that's you this evening as we begin to worship, I just encourage you just to come down. Come down to the front, have somebody pray for you, and uh, commit yourself to the Lord again. And the questions that I've asked this evening, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you experienced him for yourself? Have you put your faith, have you put your trust in him, even in a tiny little way? Because faith, even as small as a mustard seed, will help you to see that the Lord is good. And we know from what Jesus said that that little seed planted will grow 
and take over the whole garden? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Do you want to meet with him? Do you want to know him intimately? Do you want to experience his presence? Know him speaking to you. And if that's you, come down. We will lay hands on you and we will pray for you all in an appropriate way. And maybe you recognize, as I've spoken, that you've, you're behind the wheel of the car. It's the car of your life, after all, and no one else is driving it but you. And that there have been times and moments where there's stuff that's going on in your life where you know that you've brought the clutch up far too quick. And it's bucking and it's jumping and it's uncomfortable. You may have stalled the engine, not know quite what next. You may have crashed the car in areas of your life. The cross behind me is a cross of forgiveness first and foremost. If you want to come and say, Jesus, I need your help, why don't you come join me at the front and we'll seek the Lord together. Let's stand together, shall we?